I'm going to talk to you tonight about prayer, of course. Although in the beginning of this message, and probably for about half of it, it won't feel like I'm talking about prayer. Uh, but but it uh, but I think you'll you'll see. Uh, I want you to feel the full weight of your calling. And so some of what I'm about to say won't be directly related to prayer, but in reality, everything is related to prayer. And so uh, I want us to look in the Bible, Revelation chapter 1, verse 4 through 6. Revelation chapter 1, verse 4 through 6. And I'm going to call it the secrets of the intercessor. An intercessor is someone who stands in between. An intercessor is someone who represents you to another. An intercessor is someone who puts in a, a good word for you when you need it. And we've all been there in life when we needed someone to recommend us. And I think, I think all of us do. I don't think most of us, the, the, the jobs that we do or the, or the success that we may have enjoyed in life, it comes from somebody commending us, somebody going for us. And then there's, of course, those serious situations where you may have needed legal intercession. You needed someone to, to intercede for you legally because of a legal situation that you were in. And probably there's stories in the house of somebody really getting you out of a jam because they, they interceded for you. They put in a word for you. Uh, maybe somebody, uh, uh, when, you, when, you, when you messed up, maybe at work or, or you messed up in your life, maybe you messed up in a relationship, somebody stepped in and, and said, you know, He's a good guy. She's a good lady. Let's give him another chance. Well, th that's what we're going to talk about today. We're going to talk about that role of being that person who represents another. Christy really set this up well tonight when she talked about drawing near to the brokenhearted. Drawing near to the brokenhearted. Now, God has wired it this way because he wants all of us to begin to see ourselves as intercessors and not just not just people who are consuming His grace, not just people who are consuming the blessings of our church and the blessings of God in our life, but someone who is, is actively interceding for others. And throughout history, we've had some great examples of intercession. Probably one of the greatest examples that I can think of is William Wilberforce and John Newton, who, who interceded for the slaves in England and stood up and said, it's not right it, it, it's not right in the eyes of God. I mean, William Wilberforce was, a, was an amazing Christian. John Newton was, was his friend who wrote the song Amazing Grace, How Sweet the Sound, the Saved a Wretch Like Me. And so they interceded for, and, and they said it's not Christian, and they said it's not consistent with British common law that we would hold slaves. And um, America should have listened because they, they did warn us not to go down that path of bringing slaves to the United States. And we didn't listen. We pay, we're paying the price till today. But they interceded for those uh, men and women that were, were being brought from Africa as slaves. That's a great example of slavery. Perhaps Abraham Lincoln in the United States. Uh, but history is replete with examples of where one person stepped in for another and cared for them when it was maybe not to their benefit, maybe even to their detriment to step in. And so I want you to appreciate the intercessors in your life, but I also want you to become one. Here it is. This letter is from John to the seven churches in the province of Asia. Grace and peace to you. From the one who is, the one who always was, and the who is still to come. From the sevenfold spirit before his throne. And from Jesus Christ, 
He is the faithful witness to these things, the first to rise from the dead and the ruler of all things of the world. All glory to him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by shedding his blood for us and has made us a kingdom of priests to his God, his, to, to God, for God his Father, all glory and power to him forever and ever. Let me go back and read that line again. He has made us a kingdom of priests. Everybody would just say with me, a kingdom of priests. He has made us a kingdom of priests for God his Father. All glory and power to him forever and ever. Amen. Now, this verse is very uh, instructive as we prepare for this week of prayer. Thanksgiving and intercession. I, I say this because uh, it was the priest in the Jewish tabernacle and temple system who entered into the holy place uh, and the most holy place to offer sacrifices to ensure that God's favor would rest on Israel and God would remove the guilt of Israel and God remove with the guilt of the people, the individuals and the nation. Uh, he said in, in the Old Testament in Hebrew, it's in Hebrews chapter one, five, verse one, he says, for every priest taken from among men. See, all the Jewish priests were taken from the the tribe of Levi, specifically the Kohan, K-O-H-A-N, specifically the Kohan family. He says in uh, this scripture that I'm just starting to give you in Hebrews 5.1, for every high priest is taken from among men, uh, uh, or, or for every high priest taken from among men, is appointed on behalf of men in things pertaining to God in order to offer both gifts and sacrifices for sins. Priests were able to sympathize with the people because they were subject to the same weaknesses and also had the need of the forgiveness of their own sins. Hebrews 5, 1. So this is why, this explains why Jesus, first of all, had to come, had to, come to earth and had to become a man, had to be clothed in flesh so he could play the role of, of high priest for all of us. And we all know something about the doctrine of salvation. We all know something about Christ representing us and how the cross was he was not only the at the cross he was the sacrificial lamb but then how he took his own blood before the father and in the heavenly tabernacle that also pertained the holy place and the most holy place he entered into the most holy place in the heavenlies and he offered sacrifice for our sins now the the priest had um, had had dual roles first of all he was uh, a representing man to God, and he represented God to man. He rep it's two, two roles in that sense, but also two, two roles in another sense. Priests were not only, not only uh, in intercessors for, in prayer, but as they represented God to man, or men, men to, uh, uh, yeah, as they represented men, uh, God for men, as they represented uh, God's ideas and will to people, they were teachers and they were instructors. And uh, we don't often, I don't often hear that talked about or thought about, that they were there not, not merely to, to uh, facilitate the forgiveness of people's sins, the removal of guilt and shame, but they were also there to give instruction. And we see this verse in Leviticus chapter 10, verse 11, that says, that you may teach the children of Israel all the statutes which the Lord has spoken to them by the hand of Moses. So, so here's three things that are true right now. Number one, Jesus removes the guilt of our sins. 
And by the way, the guilt of our sins is not just the guilt that we feel. I know, I, I know we, we're very caught up in, in, in feelings uh, defining us uh, in the modern era. But uh, actually, Jesus did not merely come to relieve the feelings of guilt, though he will do that for you. Uh, somebody say amen. He will relieve you of the feelings of shame and the feelings of guilt. He came to remove your guilt. You know why you feel guilty? Because you're guilty. <laughs> and just because you don't feel guilty doesn't mean you're not guilty. You know why you feel shame? Because you've done things that you should be ashamed of. And just because you don't feel ashamed doesn't mean you don't have shame. All right? So, so he comes to, to deliver us from our guilt and our shame. The second thing that's true is Jesus be, has become our teacher and our guide, our Sherpa of the mountain of life. It's Christmas Day. Family's all around the table. I'm so blessed. I, and, and I hope you are blessed similarly. And I know everybody's not, and I understand that. But um, I, I was blessed to have children, grandchildren, Son-in-laws, daughter-in-law, all around the dining room table on Christmas Day. And traditionally, uh, I read the Christmas story every Christmas Day. And, and uh, you know, we opened gifts uh, on Christmas Eve, and that was a great strategy. Because the problem with reading the Christmas story before you open the gifts is, is no one listens. <laughs> they are very anxious for me to get done. But I felt this... Relax because the gifts were all it was all done, and and I, I, I decided to I decided I decided to ask a question. I said before I read the Christmas story, I want to ask each one of you to answer individually and tell me what how has believing in Jesus affected your life? How does it affect your life that you believe in Jesus? And uh, we went down the line. Everybody, uh, oh, oh, mom and dad were there, uh, so we had. 90 years plus down to Eden, right? And so Eden was last, and I, and, and I knew he would have the most profound answer, probably because he had got to listen to all of us. And, and sure enough, he nailed it. What is Jesus? How has Jesus affected your life? He said, Jesus is my guide. Isn't that good? That's, that's good, right? Jesus became our teacher, our guide, our Sherpa of the mountain of life. The word statutes that's mentioned in that verse that I just read to you means to inscribe or to cut into. This is the everlasting nature of the scriptures. Uh, we use the phrase set in stone. That's where we get that phrase. We get that phrase from the Old Testament talking about God giving us statutes. There are some things that God has set in stone. God has set boundaries for life. He's our creator. He knows our needs. He knows what's best for us. We're not at liberty to rewrite the statutes. We're not at liberty to write, rewrite the statutes on the sanctity of life or how we should behave toward our spouse or our church or our children or our neighbors or our money or our bodies simply because society says we must. At the end of life, we're not going to stand before the Supreme Court or the U.S. Senate or the U.S. Congress or the ACLU or the United Nations or the World Economic Forum. We're going to stand before the faithful, just, compassionate Father of lights in whom there's no variables, no shadow of turning. He has given us statutes. They're written in stone. 
And that may feel oppressive to you, but to me it feels stable. To me it feels solid. It feels like I have a foundation to my life. I know I, know I break the statutes sometimes. I know I'll get off track. But it's great to know when you get off track. If you have no compass, you don't have any idea if you're going the wrong direction or not. So, the third thing that we know, so let me recap. We know Jesus removes our guilt. We know Jesus become our teacher, our guide, our Sherpa of the mountain of life. But number three, we know that Jesus shares and delegates these powers of responsibility to common people like you and I. Think about that as you weigh whether you should go to week of prayer or not, whether you should show up each night. I want you to feel the weight of that responsibility that God says that Jesus came not to merely be our, high, or be our priest, but he came to turn you into a priest. The Bible says we are a kingdom of priests. Amen? The scripture says, the scripture says in 1 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 9, the great apostle Paul said. Um, so we make it our goal to please him, whether we are at home in the body or away from it. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each of us may receive what is due for the things done while in the body, whether good or bad. Since we know what it is to fear the Lord... We try to persuade others. We try to persuade them. The idea that the only persuasion we're responsible for is just to get people to accept Jesus is just wrong. We're supposed to, be, we're supposed to have the ministry of persuasion by all sorts of things that relate to pleasing God. And so, we enter into the ministry of intercession for reasons I'm going to get into, Okay? First of all, an intercessor knows they share in the status of Jesus. I'm talking about the secrets of an intercessor. An intercessor knows that they share in the status of Jesus. 1 John chapter 3, verse 1 says, See what great love the Father has lavished on us that we should be called the children of God. And that is what we are. That is what we are. That's not what we're going to become. That's what we are. Je Jesus was God's son. I am God's son. Now, I'm not a high priest. I'm just a priest. I'm underneath the high priest. You are underneath the high priest. Then we look at Matthew 16, 19. I, I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. And whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. I know that scripture has been abused. And I know people have come up with all kinds of ideas about what it means. I don't know that I truly understand all that it means. But I know that it has something to do with the fact that I am responsible for my world. I am responsible for the way things are. I am complicit. If things are bad, I am complicit in them being bad. If things are good, I, am, I, am, I play a role in those things being good. God has, God has called you begin in the beginning. You were given the responsibility of having dominion over the creation. I said in the beginning you were given responsibility to have dominion of the creation. We're going to talk about that a little more as we move along tonight. Now God could have created us 
with, uh, as perpetual children who never move beyond the maturity of preschoolers. You know, never moving beyond the maturity that would allow anything but constant oversight, 24-7. Or he could have simply created us so that although we would achieve adult physical maturity, we would never have the mental and emotional capacity for an interdependent and collaborative relationship with him. God could have made us into little minions who, with angels who tended to our every physical need and just waited to scurry around and scream with delight every time Papa God made a, an appearance. Instead, God created a people who would be in his own likeness, capable of communicating at his level, capable of creating according to the same pattern of his creativity, Wired to see and solve problems the way he is wired to see and solve problems. Motivated to live in harmony with one another and with creation the way he and the heavenly host have eternally lived in harmony and as stewards of their celestial kingdom. Last I checked, kingdom, the kingdom of heaven was doing fine. <laughs> and you know, while I'm deeply concerned about what's being unveiled in the arena of science and technology, especially in the area we call artificial intelligence or machine learning or genetic manipulation and microchip technology, because God, I'm, I'm concerned because God will not get the glory, nor will biblical ethics be consulted if it doesn't appear. It nevertheless reminds us, though, of something. It reminds us, those of us who know God, it reminds us that humans are made in the image and likeness of God. We are made to solve problems. We're made to be creative. We're made to heal the sick. We're made and we're created to make the lame walk and the blind see and the deaf hear. We are, we are created to heal the brokenness that is in the world. We are created with that drive and that ability for all who put their full weight of their being on Jesus and surrender to his will. He, re, he repairs the corruption of our Adamic DNA. Our Adamic DNA that we got from Adam is corrupted by sin. It has a disease called sin. But Jesus came to, to fix it. And Jesus came with his own blood to to take his divine blood and spill it for our sins and change us. There's a very interesting verse in John chapter 14, verse 30 that I've never heard really unpacked very much. And by the way, I, I'm, I'm going to try to stop saying the word unpack because I'm tired of it. It's overused. We've got to unpack that. I, I'm just trying, trying to say that anymore. You know, aren't you just, don't you just find every couple years you need some new terms, some new words? But so, don't you have some words that you just don't want to hear in 2023? Like, like how many have just heard misinformation enough? Can we just have a new word? Just lies. <laughs> but for all of us who put our weight on Jesus, we know that. Oh, here's the verse. I, was, I got distracted by my own uh, silliness. I will no longer talk much with you, Jesus says, for the ruler of this world is coming. He has no claim on me. Think about that for a minute. 
I can't say that. <laughs> Maybe some of you are so holy that you could say, Satan has nothing on me. I don't have any secrets. <laughs> anybody want to say, Satan has nothing on me? <laughs> no, no, not me. I, I, I mean, I'm the pastor and all, but uh, that's just because uh, I like to preach and, uh, and I feel God's called me to do this. But, you know, I really do feel God's called me, but God never told me I was holy. God never told me, Satan has nothing on you, boy. You can preach. You can be a pastor because Satan has nothing on you. No, I, I run to the righteousness of Jesus just like you do. I run to the righteousness of Jesus. Now, that doesn't mean, that doesn't mean I don't work at living a holy life. That doesn't mean I don't repent of my sins. It means that very much. But we needed someone to intercede for us that Satan had no claim on. And Jesus was the first man to ever live that, that Satan had no claim on. So when, when Jesus died on that cross, the Bible says that if the princes of the world had known, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. And you know why the princes of the world would not have crucified the Lord of glory? Because, they, because the, 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 every other person that they had crucified and every person that they had killed and murdered, they could keep them in the grave because Satan had stuff on them. But when they crucified Jesus, they, there was nothing that the demons of hell could, could hold him in prison for because he was innocent and he was righteous and he was holy and he is your intercessor. And so, but you know what this Jesus does? This divine blood cleansed my sin-infected Adamic genome when he resisted the impulses of his Adamic nature that he had to deal with. And he, he, he created in Scripture what is called the second Adam. The Bible says the first Adam was a, was a living soul, but the second Adam was a life-giving spirit. And so Jesus became the life-giving spirit. And instead of just being the source of everybody, he took that robe of righteousness that he, that he deserved and he gave me a copy of it. He printed one out. He made one for me. And he put a robe of righteousness in me. And he said, Phil McCutcheon, you're going to be an intercessor. You're going to be a priest. You're going to give hope. And you're going to give life. And you're going to make somebody's day. And you're going to cause someone to feel that they have worth and they have value. You're going to heal someone's broken heart. You're going to pray the prayer of faith. You're going to intercede. You're going to move mountains because you are my priest. Be imitators of Christ, the New Testament says. W.A. Auden, hymn writer in 1855, wrote, Sweet are the promises, kind is the word, dearer far than any message man ever heard. Pure was the mind of Christ, sinless I see. He, the great example, is a pattern for me. To as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God. This brings us to our responsibilities. An intercessor knows they share in the obligations of Jesus. God will never abandon his plan for humans having dominion over the earth. Jesus wasn't even allowed to live here unless he took on human flesh. Let that sink in. But what does this have to do with intercession and prayer? Well, we must make note of the fact that Jesus, Jesus the God-man, Jesus the flesh, the, 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 the divine clothed in human flesh, 
spent more time in this activity than any other. But why? You read it. Jesus was, would go out and pray all night. He prayed all night before he chose the 12 disciples. So he would get it right. He prayed uh, in the Garden of Eden. I mean, in the Garden of Gethsemane, I meant. He prayed in the Garden of Gethsemane before he was to go to the cross. He, he faced the cross with a prayer meeting. We should, we should think about this, guys. The church should think about this. If, if, if Jesus faced everything with a prayer meeting, why aren't we? You know what? Something very simple, I believe God spoke to my heart as I was getting ready to come over here tonight. It's so simple. It's so simple. It's just simple, simple, simple. It's not profound. So don't brace yourself for something profound. Brace yourself for something simple. It was about this message. I was kind of walking around the house praying about it. And he said, I felt like the Holy Spirit said, this message is about telling people they can't do this on their own strength. I never intended for people to do this on their own strength. The stuff that we're facing tonight, we can't face it in our own strength. The stuff we're trying to do, we can't do it in our own strength. The church that we're trying to build, the people that we're trying to reach, the people that are broken in our lives, we can't do it in our own strength. If Jesus didn't, how in the world are you going to do it in your own strength? In the place of prayer, it's where we find strength for the struggle to live as God's new creation inside the old corrupt order. We're living in the old corrupt order. We're living in the, in the, the, the new world order that Adam and Eve created. They created the new world order. Some, some of you think the new term new world order is a new term. No, it started in the book of Genesis. It's, it's all about man being God. It's all about man's creating utopia by himself without God. That's what it's all about. Everything goes back to Genesis 1 through 3. If that's the only part of the Bible you get to keep, keep Genesis 1 through 3. You've got everything you need to know about man's corruption and God's salvation. It's all there. And this idea, this idea that we can be our own gods is the basis of all sin. It's the basis of all corruption. It's the basis of everything destructive and evil in our world and in our own personal lives, in the place of prayers where we admit, God, I can't do this. I can't deal with this, God. I can't deal with my own frustrations, my own heartache, my own pain. I can't deal with the problems that are in front of me. God, like Jehoshaphat in that great story in, in Second Chronicles, when he was being invaded by armies that were so superior to Israel, so superior to Israel, it was, it was hordes of, uh, uh, I think someone scholar said it was a couple of hundred thousand uh, of, the, uh, of the most cruel uh, soldiers and warriors coming at Israel, the little country of Israel, and Jehoshaphat did not know what to do, and he simply fell on his face and said, God, we don't know what to do, but our eyes are upon you. That's what we're going to do this week. I want you to meet with me this week and let's say, God, we don't know what to do, but our eyes are on you. In the place of prayers where the Spirit fills us and prayer prays through us, 
We know not how to pray as we ought, Romans says, but the Spirit prays for us with groanings that cannot be uttered. Remember, Jesus said He would be a quickening Spirit. So Spirit, we don't think about Spirit enough, I don't think. I don't think about it enough anyway. But the Bible says God is a Spirit. Spirit can go through the wall. And Spirit can go through your, go through your body. Spirit can go into you and fill you. Some of you have never experienced the filling of the Spirit because your logical mind says no. Your logical mind says, I must learn something. I must know something I don't know. You ever think about the fact <laughs> that when Jesus went back to heaven, he didn't send the disciples to seminary or college? You ever think about the fact that, that, that he doesn't say, you guys need to learn how to do this. You ever think about it? He didn't say, now, now you need, you know, I, I've given you three years, so you have your BA, BA in, in ministry, but you need your PhD, so you're going to have to go to Athens. That's where the, the intellectuals were. You've got to go to Athens and get your PhD, and in seven or eight or nine years, and, and borrow whatever amount of money you have to borrow for for <laughs> go into debt in order to get your PhD. No, he said, you go. Wait for the Holy Spirit. You go to Jerusalem and you wait for the Holy Spirit. We've tried everything else, church. We've tried everything else. And, and, and some of it, you know how I feel about it. I appreciate it. The Bible says play skillfully. And that means, yeah, you, you invest in good instruments and a good PA system. Nothing wrong with that. But it has not brought revival to our world or our church or any church. Our technology, our, our, our skillful singing, our skillful playing is worthless unless we get full of the Holy Spirit. Our, our nice building, our nice seats, all worthless if we don't get filled with the Holy Spirit. Our good programs that are run well and administrated well. You know, all that's important. I believe in, I believe, I, if you lose the Old Testament, and I'm sorry I'm getting off track a little bit, but, but maybe, it's, maybe I need to say it for somebody. If you read the Old Testament, you find there was, there was skill in the anointing. When he built the tabernacle, he got people that had skill, but they were also had anointing. But if you have to make a choice, between skill and anointing, take the anointing every time. Right? And the place of prayer is where he fills us and prays for us. And the place of prayer is where we get our head, our hearts cleansed, and our heads too, I guess. We get our hearts cleansed and we make things right with God. I love that old song that we used to sing. Let thy goodness like a fetter bind my wandering heart to thee. Prone to wonder, Lord, I feel it prone to leave the God I love. Here's my heart, Lord, take and seal it. Seal it for thy courts above. Finally, in the place of prayers where we receive the burden Jesus feels and the wisdom Jesus knows to intercede accurately and go out and act redemptively. 
You know, I, I, it's unfortunate that so many things have become political uh, instead of just spiritual or religious uh, matters. But that's not my fault. <laughs> I didn't do it. I'm just tell, I'm telling you, I didn't do it. <laughs> and as you know, we are a, we are pro-life here at Bethany Community Church. And we believe life begins at conception. And I always, uh, I always uh, have a, a pause before I talk about it. N- not because I'm worried that I'm going to be accepted or rejected by the community about it. But because I know that in my audience, many of you have had abortions. And I know many of you have either paid for abortions or you encouraged your girlfriend or your partner or even your spouse to get an abortion. So I understand it. And, and I always want people more than anything to know that they're loved and forgiven and there's grace. Never, never would I want anyone to feel uh, a shame that, that couldn't be lifted by God's grace. But um, I've got to be honest, I kind of just even though I have this pro-life position, I kind of shut it out because it's just too, it's too um, difficult for me to think about the reality of what really happens, you know, in the process. And I don't know, I got, you know how it is, you, you turn on your computer and something's up there and you go look at it. And I, so I, I let myself watch a video yesterday of a woman, I guess she's about 50 now, and she's a, she's a pro-life activist now in, out on the West Coast. And she told in some detail about being five months pregnant. And this is many years ago, and she was at a, in a Boston hospital, many, many years ago in a Boston hospital. This would have, been, this would have probably been in the early 80s or, or mid-70s. And she was five months pregnant and, dis, and decided her, her boyfriend persuaded her to abort the child, and she described a saline abortion. She described it in pretty much detail. And um, the child was born alive. And she described the doctor taking the child into another room and ending its life. And I'm telling you, something just hit me. I said, wait a minute. Is this, this, this is grotesque. This is barbaric. What are we doing? What are we doing? What are we doing? How did we get here? How did we get here? And I'm not, I'm not when I say I'm not political, I'm not trying to fix the politics in the situation. They're, they're, they're way, way beyond my need. What I'm saying is, why, why is it so hard to get us to pray? knowing these things are happening? Why is it so hard to get us to weep? It's been years since I've seen anybody pray, pray and cry. I was raised with people who cried when they prayed because the burden was so great. If we're the priest for this culture, I don't think we need to go out and heap condemnation. Well, your political activism is between you and God. Whatever political activism you choose and God leads you or doesn't lead you, I'm not, I'm not trying to promote that. But what, what will it take till we begin to really 
earnestly pray again. We're priest. We're the priest. We're the priest. Here's the, okay, here's the exciting part. An intercessor understands we share in the potential of Jesus. Therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. No matter what you've done, if you tell me about it and I pray for you, you'll not only be forgiven, you'll be healed. Because sin doesn't just make you feel guilty. Sin makes you feel sick. But I guess, according to that, I can heal you. <laughs> according to that, you can heal me. You, you ever have that? I, I've, I've been there when somebody, in my, in my sinful moment, they came and touched me and didn't condemn me and offered me the forgiveness of Jesus. And men, that's a healing moment. That's a healing moment. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old is gone, the new is here. All this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting people's sins against them. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors. Yes, there are times that the church can be a part of the reformation of culture. It's happened several times in history that we could talk about. I don't know if this is such a time, but I do know it's such a time that the church can reconcile men and women to Christ and reconcile men and women to God. Galatians 6.2, carry each other's burdens and in this way fulfill the law of Christ. I can carry your burden. You can carry my burden. Now, part of what gets us trapped up when we talk about being like Jesus is the instantaneous physical miracles of Jesus can be a distraction for us. I've not personally witnessed many of the instantaneous physical miracles that Jesus performed. I hear about them, and I'm no cynic. I'm convinced they happen, and I'm convinced they're possible. I've seen miraculous recovery, recoveries from illnesses that medical science could not explain many times as a result of my prayer or someone else's. I've seen spectacular deliverance from life-controlling addictions. I've seen the brokenhearted and the depressed have their broken hearts healed and their outlook on life transformed uh, incredibly through prayer. I've seen many incredible financial miracles in a direct answer to prayer. And, and I, I would still like to see the blinded eyes open, ears unstopped, quadriplegics rise and walk, I'd like to see that. I'm, I'm praying that God will let me see that. But um, we know that to flow in the capability of Jesus, though, doesn't mean you will live his precise life or duplicate all of his miracles. It means something more profound than that. As I said, to flow in his capabilities doesn't mean duplicating all of his signs and wonders. It means that you get to live in the fullness of John chapter 4, verse 30 and 31. Here it is. This is one of the most important things you've ever heard that I've ever told you. 
Jesus said this, I will not talk with you much longer because the ruler of the world, I already read part of this verse to you earlier, I will not talk with you much longer because the ruler of this world is coming, he has no power over me, but the world must know that I love the Father, so I do exactly what the Father told me to do. Ah, that's how to be like Jesus, is to do exactly what God tells you to do. That's what a priest does. That's what an intercessor does. An intercessor does exactly what God tells them to do. Everybody, God did not tell Jesus to heal everybody because many people did not get healed. Many people did not get delivered in Jesus' ministry. But Jesus, at the end of his life, didn't leave one person untouched that God told him to touch. Jesus didn't leave one person unhealed that God told him to heal. Jesus didn't leave one word unspoken that God told him to speak. Jesus did not leave one act of kindness undone that God told him to do. Jesus did not leave one prayer that God told him to pray unprayed. Jesus, the secret of Jesus being our intercessor, was that he did everything that the Father told him to do. Now, a lot of us think that when we stand before God, I don't know, a lot of us, that's presumptuous of me to say that. A lot of people, let's say it that way, a lot of people out there think when they stand before God, they're going to get some answers. Uh, God, okay, why did, why did children suffer? Why did children get, you know, Go without fathers and mothers. Why did people die of cancer? Why were there so many wars? Um, why did you let all this bad stuff happen? You know what God's going to say? Why did you let it happen? Why did you, humans, why did you let the world become so corrupt? Why did you let sin become so rampant? Why did you let cruelty become the order of the day and rudeness and crudeness become the order of the day? Why did you? I made you kings and priests. I gave you dominion over the earth. I gave you a beautiful world. Why did you make it ugly? Listen. I can't answer and you can't answer for anybody else. And we shouldn't try. We're just going to answer for us. And if you will join me this week, humbly before God as much as you can, I will humble myself with you and we will pray. And we'll ask God to show us the way. We'll ask God to show us what we can do about a world that needs a lot of help. Many of you are already doing it, by the way. I watch you. I could tell many examples, but I'll, I'll, I'll spare you right now. You know, one of the things we're going to do is we're going to make prayer a greater emphasis this year. And so to, be, to begin that process, I've asked a, a number of people, some of them are here tonight, to be prayer partners. And 
I'm sure others of you will be asked to serve in this area as we move forward. But I want all of you who have agreed to be prayer partners to come, and we're going to, I want to introduce you to the congregation. I want to introduce the idea to the congregation, and we're going to anoint you right now with oil, and I'm going to ask some of our pastoral team to come and anoint you with oil, and we're going to pray for you. And you're going to be representative of the priestly calling that God has put in our lives. Will you come right now, please? Just come and stand and face me. Give, give a little room so someone can walk in front of you. Steve Bono and Mary in the middle, they're going to be coordinating this ministry for us. And I would thank them. Thank you so much for being willing to do that. And, uh, and I'm going to ask uh, Pastor Jay, uh, Pastor Steve, Pastor Shane, can you join us up here too? Pal, if you're not too busy back there. Oh, you're, we're, oh there you are. It's a black coat. I don't know. <laughs> you're, you're such a small guy. You know? <laughs> I love these guys, and it, it's great to work with them every week. They're just, they're just amazing. They work hard. They really work hard to, to lead this church. But uh, I want to hand some of that responsibility to you right now. And uh, as I pray, they're going to come down and just touch your head with oil because that's, that's how they would appoint priests in the Old Testament. They would anoint them with oil. They would actually pour a whole bucket of oil on them, but we won't do that tonight. <laughs> we'll, just, we'll just put a little dab of oil on your forehead. I'm going to pray. Father, thank you for these men and women who have agreed to be on the front lines of prayer of the war of prayer against the forces of evil and the forces of darkness and against everything that binds and blinds and pinches and hurts people, God. We're here to heal people. We're here to, to, to minister healing and grace and, and, and connection. And we're, we're, here to, we're here to reconcile people to God. And, and we're here, Lord, to see your power come to bear on people's pain and people's illnesses and, and people's brokenness in their life. And God, I just envision, Lord, many Sunday mornings while when the message is done and, and people will come forward and these who are standing before me right now will, will lay a hand on their, their head or their shoulder and pray the prayer of faith. And God, you will do something miraculous, God. Lord Jesus, there, 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 are, there, are, there are people with all kinds of needs in our congregation. And Lord, people that are going to come through throughout 2023, people who do not have a relationship with you, people who are far from you, God, but they're going to come and these prayer partners are going to pray the prayer that connects them to eternal life. And oh, Father, I thank you for them and I pray a special anointing on them that will rest upon them and empower them and bless them in, in, in Jesus' holy name. Amen.